0: I'll I'll mention something uh, before we begin our sit, um, if, if you would. Just um, there are many other people who could have been included in this, but today I'll mention um, that my um, mother-in-law, Arlene Weimer, uh, passed away on Saturday, Aaron's mom, and it was. I'll say more about that later, but. Um, just wanted to dedicate our time uh, to her and everyone just uh, hold not only her and Aaron but everyone who has lost someone and all the people that are uh, struggling uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that as we go along and let's enjoy our setting together <clears throat> there are traditions in which uh, people sit <clears throat> uh, together as a vigil as a person begins to pass from this life. Is in some way that's what we're doing as we sit now together in this robust, vital presence, a vigil of for our lives and we have things that are called awake, following someone's death. But awake is in an important position now to remain awake for all of our lives. So we sit with, with some energy and some vitality, a deep intention to be fully in our own lives and with and in support of and encouragement of the lives of those on the screen in front of us that we can see and those we can't. i to remove my rakasu for a second before we chant. This um, small robe. When we engage the verse of the robe, which we'll chant now, if we were in the zindo, it may seem odd for those of you that aren't familiar with these temple things. You place it on your head and do the chant. It looks a little funny. But I'm going to say something about it in just a moment. Uh, But let's invoke our chant now. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. So this robe of the Buddha, the vast teachings are above. They're not put on a low place, they're always higher. In this case, in this kind of unusual looking thing, it's on my head. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. But then we chant, but wearing the universal teaching, we bring it down and get in our bodies, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. So we both acknowledge this transcendent, if you want to say, holy quality of what we're invoking and the imminent embodied everydayness of it. So although we do this chant, I just wanted to Add one more piece that might help you get a feel uh, for um, what we're enacting and what we're saying. It has a lot of meaning. It's not just uh, not some words. <clears throat> Here's one line uh, of some words that I found uh, beautiful from the great American poet Emily Dickinson. She wrote, "To live." to live is so startling, it leaves little time for anything else. To live is so startling. It leaves time for little time for anything else. And she's invoking in her beautiful poetic way in that line from, from poetry what we call the great matter in Zen practice, um, the great matter of birth and death. Um, In fact, in the original uh, story, in the various ways it is told, of the young Siddhartha Gautama, who is to become the Buddha, the story is usually remembered. if Most of you have heard it, I'm sure. You think, oh yeah, that, that's right. You remember he went out of the palace and he encountered illness, old age, and death. And that's what we talk about, illness, old age, and death, as part of this great matter. Um, <clears throat> in fact, on the verse of the Han, which calls us to practice, um, we see it um, in various translations, great is the matter of birth and death, Great, the great matter, great is the matter of birth and death, all is impermanent, quickly passing, awake, awake, don't waste this precious life. And m- many of us have heard it so many times, we've seen it, we've heard the sound of the Han, and we may have even memorized what it says, great is the matter of birth and death. But he ever thought, who's saying it? What's the source? And that actually reminds us that in the story of the Yungutama going out, we forget that there was a prediction that was made before his birth in the, in the mythology or the story. There was a prediction that when he was born because his father was a a, a king, a a mother, a queen, they were the rulers of uh, this area, that he would become either a great ruler himself, the, the child, or he would become a holy person. Would it be power or would it be wisdom? And because of that prediction, he was isolated from the realities of the world and the palace so that he would remain enchanted with the luxuries and the entitlements that went with it. And it was arranged so that he would become who his parents wanted him to be. And of course, we, there are ways in which we can echo some of these things in the in current day. But even in that beautiful life, he felt called to more. Something called him, either through some dis-ease in his own being, or, or some curiosity. And so he convinced his chariot driver, uh, Chana, to take him outside the walls of the palace. So he, it's like these days, he had his limo driver take him somewhere that he's not supposed to go, you know. And he met these three circumstances. He met someone who's ill and was really suffering because of the illness. Um, Someone who was quite old, and he could see the infirmities and difficulties of old age. And he saw people taking care of a body that had, um, a person had recently died, and they were preparing the body for the cremation. And so these are the three, illness, old age, and death. But that's not the whole story. It's very interesting how infrequently the fourth one isn't mentioned. He did meet the person who was ill, the person who was old. He did see the families taking care of the body, and he also encountered a wandering, holy person. And this kindled a fire in him to understand suffering and know how to meet suffering in a wholesome way. And it's so interesting that we sometimes forget that fourth one, and I'm going to come back to that in a a moment, because I'm going to make all this more personal. So we'll start with death. It's illness, old age and death, but we're gonna put death on top because we've been kind of called to this because of um, Aaron's mom dying on Saturday. Um, We we knew it was coming and we felt a combination that you might feel sometimes when a person is experiencing um, difficulties and infirmities or pain, We felt the combination of of sadness um, because she she was suffering and we might lose her, but also the relief. Um, So it's sometimes, you know, it's mixed often. But more than that, I have to say, I also personally felt a kind of surrealness about it. In one way, it seemed ordinary and expected. It's what we thought would happen. But what happened? you know, those deeper questions, what does it mean that this person that I was close to uh, was no longer here? Is anything really any different? But on the other hand, can anything ever really be the same? These are the unanswerable, essential questions, which must be met and digested. They're not necessarily difficulties, they're just those realities that come to us when we meet this thing very personally. I remember my father saying to my sister, uh, Kathy reported it to me, as he approached his death, he would say something like, "I, I can't believe this is happening to me. And I heard him say things like that too. Some of it was kind of a bargaining kind of denial, I know. But there was also this sense of the unreal. How does living make sense of dying? When the life goes out of a body, what happened? Those of you that have been with someone as they passed at the moment, or even when you've had to lose a beloved pet or something, you can feel that moment when life goes out. And what was this body is the same body, but not. What, what happened? this is the great mystery so one facet of the great matter death old age a second one my own <laughs> i received a phone call from aaron that arlene had passed while i was sitting in the in the forest of molokai here with my two older buddies, which we often do. And when I got the call, I had to interrupt. I was reading to them an essay from uh, the magazine The Sun. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It's quite a lovely publication. And there was um, an essay in it called My Fight Against Time. And the author was Jim Ralston, R-A-L-S-T-O-N, Jim Ralston. And in it, he was remembering a conversation he had when he was in, uh, I think it was Guanajuato, Mexico. He uh, was down there as a young man in his 30s. And there were a number of expats there. And there was an older man who'd been quite successful, who lived there now. It was um, you know, less expensive to live there. Who was in his 70s. Like my age and the age of my buddies. Who I was reading to on Saturday. And the older man in the essay said to this younger man, the author, and you, you'll recognize this, many of you, he said, you look in the mirror one day and ask, who is that old man? And he went on to say, what an irony. You finally see how beautiful life is as it's coming to an end. It makes me want to scream. And at the end of the essay, which was actually written 40 years after that conversation. Now the author is the same age that that man was when he was saying those things. Now he's in his late 70s. And towards the end of the essay, he reflects on a a day when he's driving in the mountains. I think he lived in New England. Over a crest, and he... Early in the morning, and he crests the hill, and there's this gorgeous, familiar valley opened below him. But it was a winter morning, if you can imagine that here in the summer, in which everything was had a coating of ice from a storm from the night before. The road was dry by that time, but everything was coated, and the morning sun was coming. And he said, you know, it was glittering in the morning sun like it was magic. <clears throat> And now, in his late 70s, he writes, I can describe it accurately now, but for a few seconds when it was happening, I didn't know what I was seeing or who was seeing it. For a few seconds, I was gone. And someone else was me. And he screamed. I could say he shouted or yelled, but no. It was a real scream. I think he screamed for beauty. I think he screamed for joy that came too late. There's death. Old age. Me reading this to my old friends as I get this call. And then illness. The third. I came home after a while and I checked my messages after that talk with my friend about old age and having received the call that we'd been expecting. And, and I was met with a number of emails from several Sangha members and friends within various aspects of the Sangha in our, our family about who was ill, who had been just diagnosed, who was having a scan or a biopsy. You know, a test that could change the course of someone's life suddenly and permanently. And then there's the illness that is hidden and sneaks up. Another email told of a friend who stepped out of the house and found her husband dead in the driveway. An athletic man, too young, with a hidden genetic vulnerability, the illness silent in his heart's arteries until it wasn't. And the wife and children suddenly left without a father or a husband. Illness, old age, death. You know, these are the inevitables. illness, old age, and death. But we should include the fourth one, the forgotten one, the sadhu, the holy person, the yogi. We remember the inevitable, so we forget the possibility. A real possibility for us. Not that, not that we become some, you know, a naked yogi in northern India, dwelling in the forest, but that we could take on the practices which being given, which has been handed down to us from the time of the Buddha, and engage them fully and in a wholesome manner in contemporary life, with dedication and constancy, so that we too can discover the freedom within illness, the liberation within old age and death, and to be able to then do something that is liberating in the world. And you know, this is actually what I see in front of me right now. I mean, literally, when I look in the screen. Screen after screen, cell after cell of holy people. Maybe that holiness unknown to themselves, to each of you. But beautiful, struggling, inspiring, difficult, despairing. Generous, broken, whole, wonderful, yogis, human. My summary term, you know I've said so many times, we're messy miracles. And looking like this calls forward what it called forward in the young prince. Siddhartha, desire to understand and respond to suffering. That could not be extinguished. It's going to have to be lived. And this is the dance between the inevitable and the possible. Between the inevitability of illness, old age, and death and the possibility of waking up and living with those inevitabilities in a way that's gracious and generous and doesn't cause more harm. And another essential part of the story that I think maybe we sometimes forget because all the mythology talks about uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who would become a Buddha, sort of like awake from the beginning in some of the mythology, but not in others. But the essential part of the story is this person was young, in their 20s, and was not completely mature, somewhat naive. And he was overprotected. And that person was compelled by curiosity. Some deep longing or or maybe an urge that he discovered, which took him over the protective walls of the palace compound, beyond the barriers, which had kind of become a prison, to see the truth of the matter. He was startled by what he found, like Emily Dickinson said, is startling. And his discoveries uh, galvanized this personal inquiry he had, and then his commitment to practice. So our story about illness, old age, and death, about how the young man left home and became a wandering monk, and all that followed as he became a Buddha. But if we look more deeply into the, the sort of archetypal arc of this, and that's why I wanted to make it personal in my life, as I was telling you these stories. Because we can start seeing ourselves in the mirror. When we, when you, are caught in a habitual pattern, something that's automatic over time, because we practiced it. We find ourselves in the palace, in the prison of the self-centered dream the walls that we construct, the barriers that we hold to by holding to our narratives. It's as if we're all kind of you know young and naive in spirit, uh, immature in certain ways. That's why I use the model of growing up and waking up towards maturity. And if we stay immature, if we stay naive, if we don't ask these questions, then we suffer. And The part of the story we almost never hear about, that fourth part... Well, it's actually a a different... Let me speak about this first. The part of the story we actually almost never hear about is what happened to the people who stayed in the palace. We hear about what happened with the Buddha and what happened, but what about the people who stayed in the palace? And you know what happened, right? Every single person got old, experienced illness and died. And this wasn't a mistake. It's life's beautiful and startling unfolding. There is no ultimate protection from all of this and from dukkha. These are the inevitables. But within them, there's an immense possibility, remember. This dance of the inevitable and the possible. I I received this wonderful uh, catalog from an exhibition of photography in New York. Um, from a, a friend who I had met in, uh, in Cape Cod this, this summer, uh, Peter Sikir, I think, Sikir, I think I'm saying it right, it is Danish. And uh, there were many um, many photographs from the 30s and 40s and 50s and on and on, on in black and white. And I realized I was looking at most of the photographs in that beautiful exhibition. I thought every person that I'm seeing on these squares is no longer living. Everyone is dead. And it made me poignantly think of the squares here, the little pictures. And this is what happened with the people who didn't leave the palace. The same thing happened to everyone, but they didn't have the possibility of, w- of waking up. They did meet the Inevitables. You know, I, I kind of in a silly way, the Inevitables made me think of the movie The Incredibles. You know, just because some of you have seen that. There are a couple of them. The first one is in 2004, I think. It was a Pixar animated film. But the description, I went back and looked because I couldn't remember exactly. And so in the film, uh, there was this couple, Bob and Helen Parr, a couple of superheroes, who are really Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, but who are hidden and acting like they're normal people because it was a government mandate that they couldn't be themselves. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? An attempt to live a quiet suburban life with their three children, but the movie turns because Bob sees something that happens and he, need, he has a, such a great desire to help people that it draws him and his entire family, who are all superheroes, out into the world to do good. And that's the drama story. It's actually a similar story. In the Buddhist story, the sage was the possibility. He, ind- he demonstrated the embodied reality, the actual possibility, of dancing freely with the inevitables without turning away, without turning away or denying what was inevitable. He chose what was possible. So what's called you to this path? What helps you over your personal wall or the courage to venture beyond what seemed like an apparent barrier horizon that you thought was real? What is your inmost request? The way Suzuki Roshi would call it your deepest question, your deepest longing. You know, is there some challenge that you've met which has called you, or some inspiration that hasn't called you out beyond the walls of your protectors and their illusory safety? Why on earth would you engage in this challenging and difficult practice to face what most people would rather not face? The the freedom that transformed the young uh, Gautama into Buddha is available to all of us. It is all of us. And this is the promise and the actuality of who and what we are. And the story, uh, maybe the myth, the tale, is one which we all live. And what we choose makes all the difference. How do we choose? Well, here's guidelines, just quickly. Follow the forms of practice. When in doubt, follow the forms. Become intimate with the teachings that get handed down. Remain in relationship with the teacher that you can have some faith in, some trust in. Cultivate and appreciate good friends who can walk with you. That you have some trust in. You know, these are the these are the refuges of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, so that we can allow ourselves to be reconfigured through practice. Having faith that the forms will form us well, and that our opinions and preferences, our constant picking and choosing, even about spiritual practice, is just creating a new palace where we can seek false safety and peace. As we try to follow guidelines of our own instead of following what's offered, we, we want to have discernment. I'm not talking about blind adherence to anything, but we also hope for a wholesome way like to to relax our self-centered concerns and align ourselves with something that has deeper wisdom and more profound compassion than our own little managers can can keep going. Basically, how do we dance with the inevitable and the possible? To live is so startling. And one final piece, because it's so gorgeous, uh, from the late John O'Donohue, who died in his early 50s in his sleep, way too early. I'll post this with the the video of, of today's inquiry, so you'll have it, because it's worth mining more deeply. He calls it death, transfigures our separation. And there's, at the end, it speaks of a a soul, which we sometimes don't speak about so much in Zen, but you'll get the point. It is a strange and magical fact, he says, to be here. Walking around in a body, to have a whole world within you, and a world at your fingertips outside you. It's a strange and magical fact to be here. It's an immense privilege. It is incredible that humans manage to forget the miracle of being here. Rilke said, Being here is so much. It's similar to what Dickinson. He goes on, It is uncanny how social reality Not to mention social media, it's uncanny how social reality can deaden and numb us so that the mystical mystical wonder of our lives goes totally unnoticed. We are here. We are wildly and dangerously free. We are wildly and dangerously free. The more lonely side of being here is our separation in the world. When we live in a body, you're separate from every other object and person. And many of our attempts to pray, to love, to create are secret attempts to transfigure that separation in order to build bridges outward so that others can reach us and we can reach them at death. This physical separation is broken, released from a body. The soul is released from its particular and exclusive location in this body. The soul then comes in to a free and fluent universe of spiritual belonging. It's quite a bit, huh? It's a strange and magical fact to be here in this body, with an inner world and an outer world. A privilege that we forget. And how by the enchantment of the world, we're numb to the mystery of it all. But we're wildly and dangerously free. This is what the Buddha taught. And our attempts to to practice, to pray, to love, to create, are ways to build bridges. So we can reach others and they can reach us. That's the everydayness, the embodiment. And then the imminent, the, excuse me, the transcendent aspect is that who knows what happens when we're released from the body. But there's a suggestion that we become free and undifferentiated in the immense belonging. Vast is the rogue of liberation. So I've gone on and on today about this but it's so um, essential and if you have questions about the barriers or moving the barriers not just uh, it would be easy and it's useful and maybe after on the porch you can talk about an experience of someone dying or this or that what is your practice question though what is something that you want to just meet the build what was the bridge that you want to build that would assist you in um, rediscovering that wild and dangerous freedom that's promised. And if you want to meet around that, please raise your hand. Otherwise, we'll sit beautifully and fully in our our silence. Remembering W.S. Merwin's statement towards the end of his life, he said, uh, All my teachers are now dead, except silence. Except silence.
1: And we have Penelope. (laughs)
2: Hello, Flint. My condolences to Aaron. I um, know it's a great loss. Um, I just wanted to say that thank you for this beautiful meditation. And I love the A, wake. That was so great to, you know, that whole making you see completely differently. Mm-hmm. But something that I just realized, like, Day before yesterday, I always do what I call like Buddhist studies after my meditation, or try to if I have time. So I picked up my big folders that I have from the pilgrimage I went on. And I realized that the pilgrimage in September, it'll be 20 years ago that I went on the pilgrimage to the temples of Kanam, the 33 temples in, you know, all around Kyoto. Um, and what a to to pull, I hadn't looked at any of that in a long time and luckily I've kept such good records and was able to revisit the incredible, incredible experience it was. And you know, long story short, the bridge that I was able to create from that was my own artwork. I was able to work with all the the dharma. Mm-hmm. So you know about this.
0: You turn the dharma through your artwork. i
2: had. Remember the great emptiness, nothing holy. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the colors of the flags that mm-hmm. hang out in front of the temples and then on and on the bone house you know, that was from one, you know, inspired by one of the temples. But the point is, is that 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 pilgrimage was taken in 2002. And that was right after 9-11. And in my heart, that's why I wanted to go on the pilgrimage to pray for, you know, like to offer up intentions or however you want to say it Mm. for the tragedy of 9-11 and that was so much in the consciousness right then you know that it was like people were going to do these things to promote peace in the world or offer intentions for peace and so that was i think all of us there were only seven people who did this and um you know it was it was I don't know what has happened to the other people. You know, I didn't keep up with them um, as far as how they made the bridges. But it was a very Where important... they're still living. That's right. I know the leader who lives in Australia, uh, she just sent a little blog thing out lately. She has her own temple in the western part of Australia and lives there. But, you know, just recently she sent something out. So I know she's doing well, but... The other people, you know, but it was, um, you know, when we went to Mount Koya and that, you know, as this huge cemetery that when we were there, uh, there was a just kind of like, you know, you hear about those mad holy men. He was like walking around and kind of ranting and dressed in sort of white rags and stuff. And, you know, I was just like, my eyes were wide and my jaw was dropping because this looked like something out of a movie. And Kate, our leader, was like, don't worry, just ignore him. You know, he's just a holy man. He's just a, like the a, ray. You know, in other words, these people, this is just a natural occurrence over here in Mount Collier. And. Um,
0: but that cemetery is beyond.
2: It's beyond.
0: Walking through it is, I would say, one of the holiest places I've ever been. Yes. Massive and old. And so the statuary and what's growing over it is just so beautiful.
2: And the Jizo, all the little statues with the little caps and the, um, you know, and then when this big stream flowing through it had all the little wooden crosses in it. And these were the souls of the unborn children or the miscarried Mm -hmm. children or when, I mean, it was just every place you turn around, that's where the bone house was actually where they kept the little high bone. It was with the inspiration for the sculptural piece I did that.
0: Yeah. You know, as we, as we get older, Penelope, and you and I have known each other these 20 years, then we start remembering these things. We start reminiscing a little bit. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And it's necessary to tell the stories as a way to uh, remember our lives as we know that uh, we have another 20 years
2: we don't know if we have one more day but i guess what i'm saying it's that whole thing you said when you said awake and awake like when i was looking at some of these amazing statues and things like in nara there's an amazing museum of the most beautiful treasures in all of japan um and it just broke my heart there was some kind of bad killing or something in nara the other day you know like a tourist or nut or something you know and I thought Nara's you know where the little deer are all tame and they walk right up to you outside the temple and it's this, such a holy place but nothing is immune you know I mean everything's changed and but anyway the, 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 the way I'm seeing these things what a gift because I could spend the rest of my life just take deconstructing the pilgrimage and making bridge after bridge after bridge.
0: And our life is that ongoing pilgrimage. And that is what we spend the rest of our lives doing, is unpacking this pilgrimage, this great, mystical, wonderful pilgrimage. And there are moments, which you're talking about, which are quite unusual and quite special. So thanks for reflecting it. Having been to some of those places, it calls it up in me, of course. Mm. Awake. Mm. Awake, don't waste this precious life.
1: <laughs> we have Chris.
0: Hi, Flint. Hi there, I haven't seen you in a while.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, so I talked about this big improvement that I had in my health at the end of last year. And um, that has has continued it was it was a big change right at first and then it's it's continued to slowly improve and um so i guess it's been three months now that um to my complete surprise i found rising in me the desire to pick up to pick back up the ministry career that i had to set aside 25 years ago because my 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 health had just collapsed mm-hmm. and so that's hmm. that's big stuff and i'm um figuring out how to complete my master of divinity degree hmm. and I don't know what this is going to look like. I was um, in the Unitarian Universalist church at the time and I'm no longer there. So whatever I do, I won't be serving in the denomination. And um, there are plenty of things that ministers can do. I know I will write and teach. Beyond that, I don't know. So it's, but I'm trying to not be bound by the, the, the defined
0: forms, um, parish yeah. minister, chaplain and such. Yeah, stay with the essence. It's like that uh, koan where there's the teacher asks the student to find the ember in the fire. He said, I think there's one in there. And the student says, no, I can't find it. The teacher digs deeper and sure enough, there's one there. <laughs> and then the fire comes back, where right? they thought it was out. The fire's coming back. Yeah. So
4: that's going on, and it's, it's rich and huge and enough to fill a life, to be sure. And at the same time, <clears throat> a couple, three years ago, I reached a point where I, I thought, you know, I have done the important things that I wanted to in life. I, I have the things that I wanted and um, so I, I, I was in a, my health was not good then. My depression was not in a good place. And so I thought, you know, I'm just, if I die now, I'm fine. And whatever time I have from here forward is just, is just gravy. And um, I could do with it what I want. And now I know. What I want to do with that in particular, and so I'm 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 existing in this these two contradictory things side by side. On the one hand, I'm stepping back into a an enormously rich world, rich with study and uh, people and. lots of things and at the same time i i know i'm going to do my best and if it you know if it ends with my death or from something else that's okay yeah and it it just feels very odd
0: (laughs) well it's it's odd to have that sanguine reality of i'm going to do my best offer the whole thing knowing it will end yeah but it's the odd thing is when we aren't guided by grasping and by achievement, it feels kind of odd. Like, oh, yeah. that, that's Suzuki Roshi's analogy of rowing out into the middle of the lake and the rowboat knowing it's going to sink. But you get in, you row with all you got and you enjoy the day and everything there. It's not like you say, oh, well, I'm going to die. You know, no, you do it fully knowing what the outcome will be. But without grasping like oh it can't happen or it should be better or what's it say on the bottom of the shirt i know you well enough to know oh uh it's quote from
4: dom helder camara when i asked why oh
0: when i give food to the poor
4: they call me a saint saint. when i ask why they are poor they call me a communist
0: ah (laughs) your social activism there you bet mm-hmm and, so and one more question for you yeah I've I've known you for so long and and this path means a lot to you I know and I understand all the nuances but if the people that you're speaking to right now if they said what's the meaning for you in coming forward and reporting these things to us which means so much to you what's the meaning to step forward today
4: that i would like the sangha to know this about me oh
0: good you're placing a tender and important aspect of your life in our hands and our hearts our yes lives. yes to be held well
4: yeah yes i know that
0: wonderful it's it. i just want to make it explicit it's nice to make it explicit yeah and then you i see your face change and your energy changes the bridge is built now. Yeah. Wonderful. Let's continue and stay connected with us then. You bet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.
1: We have Sheila.
3: Clint, it's very good to see you.
0: And today, just as luck would have it, your image was right in the middle in front of me the whole time I was talking. Oh, wonderful. It's <laughs> so I could watch your facial, you're, you're the person I keyed on your facial expressions I was talking, so it's nice.
3: <laughs> well, it was a beautiful teaching, and um, I'm very grateful and full, and it's hard to to talk, actually, but um, what I, I just mainly wanted to come forward to, to say hello Um okay. And also to say that I I think back on, I celebrated my mother's um, first first birthday um, out of her body
1: Uh (laughs) Um,
3: just recently. And I also realized that being present with her as she died She was 98 and Mm -hmm. had dementia. And even at this point, I can look at her dementia as a gift because I was able to let her go gradually Mm -hmm. in a way that at the time I was very angry. But came to see what a blessing that was to be able to um, experience her actual death as a release Mm -hmm. that it was for for the whole family, Uh, but especially for her to, um, because she was a woman of very strong faith. And I have no doubt that she um, experienced death the way that her faith um, gave her the ability to do. Sure, sure. And um, ever since-
0: What you did was uh, on the slogan behind you. Yes, (laughs)
3: you can read it. (laughs) That actually was given to me. It's a very um, precious little collage that an artist friend did to me while I was going through my mother's uh, last year. That was very difficult because so much of it was affected. She was in a facility and so with the pandemic and the shutdowns, I was not able to see her.
1: Right.
3: Um, fortunately, she survived through it, and I was able to be present with her at her death. But yes, this this artist friend of mine said, you know, you can't resist any of this. <laughs> this is inevitable, and, and so what it has been
0: precious. It's a result of that non-resistance. Yes, mm-hmm.
3: absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. And I'm I'm now um doing this Stephen Levine book. I think you probably A Year to Live. A, year
1: to live. Uh-huh.
3: Uh, a friend of mine, a spiritual friend of mine, suggested we we pick this up and meet and read it together. And so you know your teaching today was very wonderful things that I can share with them as well. So good. Thank
0: you. It's so good to hear your voice and um, because I enjoyed connecting with you today.
3: Thank uh, you. Me too.
0: I see that we have just a minute to go, but Becky's hand is up, so I don't want to just leave her hanging, but knowing that we don't have <laughs> but just a moment, I want to say hello. Hi, Becky. Hello, friend. Um Actually, I really just
3: mainly wanted to sing a song. You just wanted what? <laughs> to sing a song. Oh, okay,
0: you can sing us out then.
3: Yes, it's been it's been one of the ones that has been very useful to me in in my own process and in relationship to other people, and that while it was uh part, it's it's part of it's taken from one of uh Thich Nhat Hanh's, uh poems, mm-hmm. and I have long realized that it's about all of our transitions, but of course, especially about about death and it's been very valuable to me. Well, you
0: you certainly uh, continue to teach us about illness, old age, potential death. And so please uh, give us the possibility now, the fourth.
1: No coming,
3: no going, no after, no before. I hold you close to me, I release you to be so free, for you are in me, and I am in you. For you are in me, and I am in you.
0: What a beautiful way to complete for today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And how many of you would have the courage to sing, huh? By themselves online like this? <laughs> Maria? I'm not asking you to sing, just you can <laughs> take over.
1: Phew! <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. That was beautiful. and and sending you and uh, Erin so much love, Flint, while you um, dance with the inevitable from all of us. And uh, if if, um, any of you would like to offer Dana um, to Flint and to any of the other teachers or programmes and facilities at Appomada, then please do go to the website at apomada.org forward slash contribute. And your generosity really does help support and continue everything that we, we offer. So thank you all so much. And, um, and if you'd like to continue to meet and share and accompany each other to continue to step outside of the palace, then um, please do um, stay right where you are on the virtual porch and just go into gallery view, and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes. Thank you all so much.